0: Men, we have an incredible episode today on the issue of abortion, which affects each of us. I discuss with the president of Heroic Media what the abortion movement is doing to continually and secretly provide abortions, and how there is a group out of St. Louis that is a proven model to change the hearts and minds of individuals and is currently winning against the abortion industry. But before we get to that point in the conversation, get to hear about the drastic conversion and transformation of a man to Christ. Stay tuned.
1: Hey
0: everyone, thank you for joining us on another episode of The Catholic Gentleman if this is your first time please hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to us either on a podcast player or a youtube if you're listening to us on youtube definitely click that subscribe button and that bell button so you get each of these we are so blessed today to be joined by an an incredible man and uh and new found friend that i have uh realized that we live close to each other brett atterbury so I'm excited to bring him and his story to our listeners today. Currently, Brett Atterbury is the president and CEO of Heroic Media, which is one of the most, if not the most successful pro-life advertising group in the world. Brett is also the founder of Pro-Life Magazine. With 30 plus years experience in consumer product marketing, Brett strives to bring the language of business to his work in the pro-life community. He has a recently published book called Your Pro-Life Bottom Line, which has an incredibly compelling approach to not only um, fighting the abortion industry, but actually victory against abortion in their industry. He joins the Catholic gentleman as a Catholic himself, but one that has a powerful story of conversion and transformation in Christ that we're going to get to later. Brett holds multiple business and international studies degrees from the University of Pennsylvania and Tulane University. Brett,
2: thanks for being here. How's your Christmas been? Thank you, John, for having me. I appreciate it. And Christmas is blessed. I'm blessed. It's going great. Thank you
0: awesome and so for our listeners i was um asked or invited to go to a claritas Mm -hmm. men's group um in dallas fort worth Uh, i have actually um heard about heroic media and brett i am a, a marketing professional myself and i had heard about you for um, I would say seven years, maybe, and maybe before that, I heard about Heroic Media. Definitely before that, um, before my job as a full-time marketing professional, and the great work that you guys are doing, and um, and I'd always wanted to meet you, but I assumed you lived in Austin. I assumed you lived somewhere oh. else, and so when I was invited to uh, to this Clarity Toss Men's Group, and you were the speaker, I was really excited, and I was like, you know what, I got to make it. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna head up there. And, and listen to you speak and you gave such an incredible testimony and actually such wisdom and understanding about this issue that I don't think I would imagine none of our listeners have um a, a complete understanding uh to what you're going to share with us today so anyways I uh, just let the listeners know and, and again thank you for for your testimony and for all of that
2: well, it was it was great to meet you at that event. I, I would say, you know, you were that guy, you were that guy at the back that's asking all the uh, interesting questions, the hard questions. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of felt like it felt like I had paid you. It's like, please ask these hard <laughs> questions so everybody gets the benefits. So, yeah. It was, well, it was a pleasure to meet you there a lot of fun thank you
0: you were speaking my language and not only in the faith but also in marketing and so it was uh it was a joy uh for sure so um well good well let's start with uh, your story your life i want uh, you to share that with our listeners you know you have a conversion story and you also have a conversion story like the prodigal son that uh that not only brought you into the church um, but also brought you into uh, the field or the new career that you took on. So I'd
2: love for you to just take the floor and just share us that story. Yeah, thank you, John. Um, I get to tell this story a lot, so it's kind of it's funny. The more you tell a story, it kind of starts losing its emotional impact. But every now and then, I kind of reflect on it, especially during special times of year like this. I'm like, man, I'm I'm blessed. You know, God yeah. really did something special for me. So I am a convert uh, from. I guess I would say agnosticism, nothingism. I, I didn't really believe in much of anything for almost 40 years of my life. I'm 57 now and life is going great. You know, I uh, I was in business doing well and uh, not exactly sure even today why. But something just wasn't exactly right in my life. And I was, I was actually... I lived in Philadelphia at the time, and I was uh, this was 2002, I think, and I was uh, just watching like Sunday NFL previews, Mm -hmm. and I'm flipping through the channels, and all of a sudden comes up one of those uh, one of those evangelical shows, you know, where the guys up there really giving it up for the Lord, and I just stopped, and I'm watching this, I'm like that's incredible, and he did something I didn't know what it was at the time. Now I recognize just the altar call, but he said, you know if you haven't done it, give your life to Jesus, get down on your knees and ask him to be your personal Lord and savior. And very strangely, I didn't do it right there. I went upstairs and I did that. I was like, that was weird. You know, nothing happened. And so I just went about my day, probably watching NFL games, playing with the kids. And that night I go to bed and I'm laying there, just kind of looking up at the ceiling and what I can only describe as now I describe as like, it felt like pure joy Mm. being poured into the top of my head throughout my body. I was almost like paralyzed. I probably wasn't, but it kind of felt that way. I have never felt anything like that before or since. And it was just like, this is what happiness and joy to the max feels like.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And then it ended and I was like, man, what was that? Just kind of show how dim-witted I am. I was like, oh, that was weird. And I went to sleep <laughs> and just <laughs> didn't make the connection at all. Can you believe that? Mm-hmm. And, and so I go about my day the next day. The next night it happens again because I think the Lord was probably sitting there going, man, this guy's really like, what's wrong with this guy? He just didn't make the connection. So I got to give him the second round of this. It happened again. Yeah. This time I got the message. I was like, oh, okay. That's incredible. That's connected to that thing I did. And here I am. I'm going, what am I going to do? I got to do something. So I started going to a Baptist church because wow. I grew up in Oklahoma. You mm-hmm. know, I wasn't religious. My family wasn't religious. I was like a lot of my friends were and they would go to like Baptist churches and things like that. I was like, I'll go to Baptist church. So I started going to one near my uh, children's the high school that my children went to. And it was great. And then um, things are progressing. I'm really on fire. And then I I had a conversation with a dear high school friend of mine who happens to be a Cradle Catholic. And he writes, he he actually wrote the forward to my book. Wow. And I, I think I signed a letter or something. God bless. Now he knows me. And he was like. That's weird. <laughs> <Better>. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm going to call this guy. He called me like immediately, like, what is what up with that? Right. Yeah. So I told him everything. He's like, man, Brett, I am so happy for you. That is amazing. Praise God. Mm. And then we talked about it more and he was happy about what I was doing. And he goes, have you considered the Catholic Church? Mm. And I said, I have not. But I I just don't know anything. Yeah. So I don't have any, I don't have anything against the Catholic Church. I just haven't considered it. And he goes, Would you consider it? Like, sure. Yeah. And he goes, Okay. Probably there in Philadelphia, you've got some Catholic churches. I just happen to live like across the street from one of the largest parishes. I didn't know it was one of the largest parishes at the time called Mary, Mother of the Redeemer
1: Mm, in Northwest
2: Pennsylvania. And then one day I'm driving home, and and instead of turning right, I turned left, went up the drive there, walking around, looking kind of clueless, and Monsignor Ricci comes out and says, hey, can I help you? I said, I don't know, but I have something to talk with you about. So I told Monsignor Ricci my story, and a week later, I was in RCIA inquiry, and the following spring, on April 10th, 2004, Easter Vigil came into the Catholic Church. wow thanks be to god beautiful experience yeah
0: oh i'm so excited to hear that and you can really hear the holy spirit right and i think that that's something that is very distant for a lot of men is is the movement of the holy spirit right and i um i see that the prodigal son right over your shoulder so i've got these two thoughts going through my head and one in the prodigal son if we all know the story is that when he when the prodigal son returns, right, God, the father, doesn't just stand up and wait for him to come to him. God, the father, stands up and actually runs to him. And we were seeing that happen in your life. And then the other thing is that, I, I just, this point over of joy, um, you know, the gift of the Holy Spirit is joy, right? It's not something that we can, we can do to ourselves. It's not something it's, it's that act of, 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 of really grace, you know, being poured forth upon us, and us just being able to experience that. So that that is really exciting. Um, I'd like for you to share a little bit about, uh, like, what were you doing a career wise, like, what was your um, because you were a successful businessman in the secular world. And, and then, just for my own uh, knowledge, and I guess the knowledge of our listeners because they're listening. Um, no one in your family, your immediate family, it was Christian or Catholic or anything like it. this. Is like your parents weren't? Is um,
2: as... yeah. To start with the, the second question, there not at yeah. all. Um, I, I I think my parents believed probably in the same way you know i said earlier i was agnostic i i certainly was not atheist i know that because mm. uh, i just remember having some you know yeah you know, when you're in high school and you're out with your friends and you're having conversations sooner or later you all run out of goofy things to talk about you might actually talk about something relatively deep <laughs> and conversations about god and i i knew i believed there was some kind of superior power if you want mm. to call it that but in terms of is that the Christian God? Definitely didn't believe that at all. So I think my parents probably were not atheists either. Uh, my, my my father's still alive. He's not atheist, but he's not okay. a practicing Christian. Uh, so so yeah. So I wouldn't say there was there was no antagonism towards Christianity at all. Mm-hmm. Just uh, just kind of living a secular life. Maybe you might call it trying to live a moral life, but without bringing in the foundation of Christianity as the foundation of that moral life, just talking about you should be a good person. As a matter of fact, I remember my my friend who who wrote the Ford to my book, he used to use a very interesting phrase. He said, Brett, you were an ethical pagan, <laughs> mm, an <laughs> meaning, ethical pagan. Mean, meaning that you didn't really believe in anything in terms of, you know, Christianity and things like that, but you were a good guy, right? You were doing nice things for people. You didn't do bad things for people so ethical pagan
1: Mm -hmm. and I
2: think that probably is a pretty apt description for my my family as well I'm an only child so both my parents I think probably fit that pretty well wow to your to your question about um career yeah I uh I came out of school I always had an interest in international things I I came out of Tulane I had lived in, in Paris France my junior year uh, really love that kind of stuff, but I, I also had this practical side because I was an economics major as well. I was like, well, you know, I I want to I want to get into business. And about this time, dating myself here, so this was back in the mid to late '80s when I graduated from college. And the I forget what they called it, but Japan as a country was like buying up all the buildings in Manhattan. Right? Okay, it was like. They called it, had some phrase for it, I forgot. But I was like, I was just so intrigued by that. I was like, man, this this country, which just at that time, 40 years earlier, had been devastated during World War II, somehow yeah. came around 40 years later and is buying up the United States golf courses, real estate, buildings, things like that. Mm-hmm. I got to get over there and learn like how, like what is, how they do that, right? So that was my foray into business is starting in Japan. And I worked at a large multinational corporation there called Komatsu. They make the big first moving equipment and really fell in love with product marketing. Like day one, I was like, I just love like thinking about products and services that are going to help people achieve something. It was just like in my bones from, from day one. I'm not exactly sure why. And so I continued down that path, came back, thought I needed to get some formal education. So I got my MBA at Wharton. This was about the time when the high tech stuff was really starting to crank up. Uh, internet, cell phones, cell phones at that time when I got into them were still these little things that just basically made a phone call. And you could do a little bit of texting, not like they yeah. are now. Now they're basically computers that can make a phone call.
0: Well, we had the but Nokia, so... you could play the snake game. I mean, that was revolutionary. <laughs> so were you I, living in Japan?
2: Sorry, were you living in Japan? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I lived in Japan for five years, uh, two years out in the countryside. I started, I, I need I knew I needed to learn Japanese. So the best way to do that that at the time, and I still think even now, if you want to get paid, is to be an English teacher. Huge history okay. for teaching English. <clears> so I did that out in the countryside for two years. And I, I was in an environment where very few people spoke English. So I was forced to learn Japanese. I, I, already, I knew I already had a, a knack for foreign languages because I learned French. I was a French major at Tulane. Please. So I just poured myself into that. And, and over two years, got up to a good enough level where when I went to Komatsu in Tokyo, they hired me. Not as a foreigner, but as if I was Japanese. I ha- they hired me wow. as a local hire, <laughs> yeah. wow. so my my level of Japanese really got up there. Uh, but anyway, but I was in high tech cell phones until I I made this jump to to full time nonprofit uh, pro life about ten years ago. I, I did the the cell phone thing in terms of manufacturing and then high tech uh, high tech uh, development for I guess over twenty years. Yeah, wow.
0: Um, I, I have another question about that. So, were you always in the cell phone industry or just high tech in general? And then, after five years, you moved to Philadelphia um, for uh, a, a company there, correct?
2: Yeah, even my, my job in Philadelphia was a high tech startup, uh, wireless okay. and wireless technology. This was back about the time of the dot com boom and bust. Mm-hmm. So, that's when I, I got a lot of it. It was a wonderful experience. The company failed. But it was a wonderful experience because I, you know, I was a young guy. I've been out of uh, grad school for, I guess, about five years. And then, uh, yeah, so I had a stint at Motorola for cell phones for four or five years. Come into this this high-tech environment, and I was like the marketing guy on the team that was not only helping develop the product, but was out raising the money to from investors because this was just a startup. And so Mini I was very very fortunate early on that I knew what it was like to build a compelling business case with all the financials and everything attached to it, where you would go out and present that deck to investors, uh, angel investors, early stage investors for private equity purposes and get them to invest in your company. And our team, as a small team of less than 10 people, in over 12 months, we raised over $100 million. Now, I want to preface that Back then, at that time, this was like, I, th- I think we were skilled and we did a good job. But I want to be fair; it was pretty easy to raise money back okay, then. Okay, <laughs> okay. If you if you went in and, and had like, oh, there's this uh, high tech wireless thing that does all these cool things, got these bells and whistles, it's like yeah, feel like ten million dollars. Yeah. Uh, so I'm probably downplaying it a little bit, but it was a time when uh, money, a lot, especially a lot of. Overseas investors were throwing a lot of money at high tech because this, remember, this is the time when also like the Facebooks and the Googles and all that Mm. stuff were just kind of coming on board. And there was so much excitement, hype for sure around this that investors didn't really know because this was like a new thing. It was like a whole new frontier. And it was very difficult for them to discern like what is going to work and what isn't going to work because they didn't have the history of track record behind it. So they were willing to put money on a lot of different bets, right? Yeah. But for me, from, from an experience perspective, it was it was very uh, it was great for my career to get out there and, and do that early on, and it certainly helped me in the in the nonprofit world as well.
0: I bet it did. Yeah, that's exciting. And so, is that group still around, or were they bought out?
2: They're no, dead. it just yeah. ran out of money and closed shop. <sighs> Wow. Which was, I think, I don't know the exact numbers, of course, but that oh, was that kind worked, of a yeah. common story for many dot-com startups.
0: Okay, great. And so was it around this time that uh, Heroic Media gave you a call? I'd love to hear that that transition story into um, really a new career for you.
2: So that happened a bit later. And okay, I, please, yeah, fill in the yeah, gap I went then. Into, uh, I went into a high-tech development company outside of Philadelphia and worked there for about nine years. And, and while I was there, or a little bit before I started there, was when this whole conversion story happened. Mm. And so the conversion story, it, it happens. I'm on fire for the Catholic faith. It was wonderful. It, it was only like a year later where I was on the other side of the RCIA table, helping new people coming in and <sighs> know, running, running those programs and things like that. It was amazing. And then I would say, I don't remember exactly, but probably maybe... Three years into my Catholic journey, um, I started having a, a bit of um, what to it call it—a bit of angst, a bit of mm. a like this thing that's not right with my spiritual life—and I knew what it was. Um, it was just that you know I I had learned the church's teachings on life, and back in my ethical pagan days when I was just a teenager, my girlfriend got pregnant. Mm. And we agreed together and she had an abortion.
1: Mm.
2: And, and so I, I had lost a child to an abortion, but that's not the way I looked at it. Certainly at yeah. the time and even later, um, I, it's it was very strange. It's strange when I look back because I had, you know, by this time, I'm married. I have three children. Mm. You would think I would make the connection, but many times people don't. They just kind of, men and women especially, will kind of compartmentalize that and put it off. Yes. Somewhere. Mm-hmm. And and that's what happened to me. And I just didn't, I it's interesting. I knew that was the issue, but I didn't know what to do about it. And then I, I start getting invited by some friends at church to go to the March for Life. Remember, I live in Philadelphia. That's so right. Philadelphia, you, you just get up early in the morning, you drive down there, you do mass, you take the train over, you do the march, you take mm-hmm. the train back, get on the bus and come back all in one day. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so I start to see. I start to get involved a little bit in pro-life, and and what that's really doing is making this issue <laughs> bubble up even more.
0: Yeah, this will.
1: But
2: it mm-hmm. took John. It took when I think about. So I came in the church in 2004. It wasn't until nine years later where this got to the point where I knew it was. It was just such a big problem. And and I think I was thinking it's just scrupulosity, right? And I'm driving home from work one day and I listen to Catholic radio all the time. So it's not that I hadn't heard this commercial before, but this time I listened to it. And it was a commercial for a Rachel's Vineyard retreat, which is a retreat for abortion healing. This time I listened and somehow remembered the number to call and got home, ran upstairs, called and Evelyn, who's still Mm. the coordinator there uh answered and I told her my story and I, I said I just want you to know I'm not sure what's wrong with me because I'm quite confident God forgave me for that because I was just a yeah. stupid kid that didn't know anything. But something's not right and do you think this would help? She's like absolutely I said the second question is do you take men? Yeah know, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> she was like yes she's like you'll be in the minority but of course we can take men. Okay, great. I'll be there. So two weeks later there I was and I'm just kind of like uh, John. I'm just kind of like I'm just there, just kind of going to see what's going to happen because yeah. I don't yeah. know. Maybe maybe something will happen. Maybe nothing will happen. I'm not mm. sure. And so I was very blessed. It happened for me, and it's everybody at the retreat just carries. Even though we all have that common history sure. of sure. abortion, everybody has different wounds for for different reasons, right? And I discovered mine. I was very lucky. It's a three-day retreat. I discovered mine on the first night. Okay. And here's what happened. They they show a film of a woman who, you know, she just lived a very kind of loose lifestyle, uh, a lot of sexual activity, had like four abortions from you know, children from four different men.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: then as as God would have it, she's at a bar and just, you know, the Holy Spirit's amazing, right? A a godly man came up to her and they ended up dating, ended up getting married. She completely turned her life around. Wow. And then she's upstairs one night that they had children. She's upstairs one night and she walks downstairs. She just kind of had this, this, the Holy Spirit like led her downstairs and she starts writing letters to all four of the children that she had aborted in the past. And Mm. then she wrote them personal letters like gave them names and man at that moment yeah. it's like gives, gives me chills right now yeah me too at that moment it's like the the scales fell from my heart and i was like oh that's it i just for whatever reason i just never acknowledged that that's my child yeah it was more like i just thought about it as this event that happened never acknowledged that, that that's my child and from that moment when I did, and I already knew, of course, mm. you know, I, I've been raising children. I, I know what it is to be a father. And and all of that fatherhood heart just came out spiritually. And it was such a beautiful experience. And And I took that with gratitude to God on the last day into adoration by myself. We each get mm. adoration for one hour with the Blessed Sacrament by ourselves. And I wrote a letter to Jesse. I knew Jesse was there with me in this. And as I'm writing that letter, I just, I suddenly just, it hits me. I'm like, I have to do whatever I can to help young women and young men not make that same mistake that, that, you know, my girlfriend at the time and I made. What can I do? And I just kind of dropped down on my knees and looked right at Jesus. And I said, Lord, you've given me, thank you. You've given me many talents and many experiences. I don't know a lot about pro-life. I mean, I've been to the March for Life. But yeah, I, right. I, is, that, is that all there is? I don't know. But, you know, use me in some way so that I can help young women and young men not make the same mistake. And then so I'm kind of one of those people that doesn't wait around to hear the answer. Mm. Sometimes that's good, <laughs> sometimes not so good. Yes. And and uh, so I had some experience in digital publishing. So I was I wonder if there's like a, a digital magazine that has to do with pro-life issues. And I looked it up and there's nothing. No. So I said, oh, well, I'll start one and I'll name it of all things. Pro-life magazine, magazine will be, you know. we'll, we'll be very clear what the subject matter is. That's right. Keep it simple.
0: Kid, that right? That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. You confuse, you lose, and that is not what you were doing. Yeah. You were keeping like, it clear. I like it. it. Don't get cute yep.
2: on what it is. <laughs> Amen. And so I started that, and then I'm a marketer like you, by yeah. background. I said, well, I, I wonder what, like, what is pro-life marketing? I mean, every industry markets mm-hmm. somewhere right. or another to somebody. That's right. So... I start looking it up, and I and I come across Heroic Media, and I see what they're doing. I was like, "That looks pretty cool." I'm just going to interview those guys. Yeah. So in the first issue of Pro Life Magazine, there's an interview where I'm interviewing Heroic Media. Wow! How and, fun! Oh goodness! Yeah. This is this all connects. It's so cool the way it connects. Yeah. And and the founder, who wasn't the one I interviewed, but he he gets obviously hears about this, and he looks me up and he researches me a little bit, and he goes, "Man, this this guy." looks like he could maybe help us out in some way because heroic media i didn't know this at the time had been looking for someone to run their marketing for like 2 years mm. and they're looking for someone that has obviously the, the skills and the background yeah. and experience but but preferably someone who also had that story that personal mm. story yeah and here, here i had both and so we get on the line and he said would you would you consider it i was like sure so I came down to Austin. That would have been late 2014. Talked a couple times and made the decision. And in um, February of 2015. So coming up on what eight years? Yeah, yeah, coming years. up on eight years. I uh, I made the move. And uh, yeah, so I've been at Heroic Media from 2015. So there's there's this whole story.
0: Wow, thank you so very much. I really appreciate the um, the openness on Rachel's Vineyard. I uh, talked to a priest. A while back, and he said for him, Rachel's vineyards are like the best retreat for him to uh, to be a priest at. and he said, just everybody understands their brokenness. Everybody understands their wounds. Everybody's looking for healing and um, and the power and the conversions and grace that's happening there. So um, men, if you're listening and that's you, definitely look into Rachel's Vineyard uh, retreat near
2: you. So um, I really John, appreciate if I, that. If, I, if Please. I can add one thing, cause I think it's a little thing. Um, I don't talk about this much. I should talk about it more, especially related to men. So there's a part of the Rachel's venue retreat when all the retreatants are sitting around and the the time comes when you have to tell your story. Right. And so as my, as it's coming around to my turn, I'm like, you know, I'm kind of formulating an outline in my head. That's what I do. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and then it gets to be my turn. And this the reason I know this is a Holy Spirit thing is because everything that came out of my mouth had nothing to do with what I formulated wow. in my head. Wow! And here is here is the without, you know, without getting into the details, the main theme was and the reason the tears were pouring down my face is I said I I feel like now that I was a complete failure as a father. Hmm. Who should completely and you know be completely committed to protecting his child and the mother, right? In this case, a long time ago, it would be my girlfriend. Now I think some people would say, Yeah, you're like whatever, you're a teenager. How could you protect them? And I I understand that, but that's just a lame excuse. Um the point is, is I never even tried. Yeah. It was just like I had that immediate reaction, it was like, well, we'll have to take care of this, you know, back when I was just a teenager and I was, I hate to say this, but it's just being honest. I was so thankful when she thought the same. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Oh, well now I don't have to deal with that. Right. But now here I am, you know, 20, 30 years later. And I was just like, I, it, the wound for me was just that complete and utter failure as a man uh, to defend, to protect, to provide, uh, instead, it was just like pulling the the, the ripcord and get me out of here, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, exit stage left. Yeah. And uh, it was it was so interesting to me as I reflected back on that later. I was like, the Holy Spirit really wanted me for whatever reason, probably for my own healing, but also for the benefit of others who were, who were there to hear that. That um, this is what many men in our culture do. Yes. when they're faced with this situation they' they just don't they don't step up. Uh, they don't step up to their responsibilities and basically just look for the easy way out. Abortion is it's we could talk forever about its moral uh, evilness but also it's just an issue of responsibility. It's uh it's basically checking your responsibilities at the door and just walking away from a very serious issue. Yeah.
0: Well, if that's not the story of how Christ makes straight our crooked paths and all things new, um, mm-hmm. gosh, that's just so incredible. I really appreciate you sharing that. And so you're starting this this new career at Heroic Media. And what were they doing, billboard marketing or were they in the digital space already? What was that looking like?
2: Yeah. So Heroic Media was founded in 2004. And remember that, you know, the these guys, cell phones, were still... Yeah pretty yeah. primitive at that yeah. time coming along is still pretty primitive so if you talked about what kind of advertising uh was still effective at the time you'd be talking about things like you know mass media yep. things mm-hmm. like billboards for sure tv tv advertising says, yeah. yeah 30 second spots um now when you're when you're talking about reaching out to the young women population which mm. is basically the the target market for abortion Um, billboards a little more difficult, but certainly TV a little more targeted, right? You could target certain programs Programs. that you know Mm -hmm. tend to be watched heavily by young women of all socioeconomic and demographic uh, strata. So that's what heroic media originally did. By the time I showed up in 2015, so you're talking about a decade after the, the original founding, Already, they were doing some internet marketing, especially they had caught on to Google ads. Mm -hmm. And I love Google ads because of the direct response aspect of Google ads. What I mean by that is it's like somebody has an issue, they do a search, they need something, right? So they're in the market already when they do the search. And then Google pops up ads above the search results, right? Mm-hmm. This is where Google makes the vast majority of its money. I think people may that's be right. familiar with that. But when, when you click on those ads, an advertiser is paying Google when you respond to those ads, and that's how they've become like a gazillion dollar company. That's right. Pretty amazing. I love that because for me, what it meant is we can track everything. Track. That's right. Mm-hmm. And track, I mean, I mean like all the way through, and, and so, so even though we, we don't run pregnancy centers, we partner with pregnancy centers. And, and then we would, uh, when in a market, so let's just say it was here in Dallas, and, and someone click on, a woman clicks on that, and it connects to a landing page, a small website that then connects them to the local pregnancy center we partner with. And it's kind of, of, you'll understand It's a marketer, but you can track this because you can use specific numbers, right, Mm -hmm. telephone numbers, text numbers, so you know that it came from your Uh ad. Mm -hmm. And the the Pranksy Center also knows it. So when they pick up the phone, there'll be like a little signal so that they, they know that this is a call from a heroic media advertisement, which is important because one, we can track it, and two, they know they're about to engage in a conversation with a woman who is actively seeking an abortion. Yeah. That's very important for for training purposes that the people on the front line know so that they can prepare their hearts and all the skills that they've learned about what to say and what not to say. Not to say, yeah. They get get ready, right? So this was very exciting. And I thought, you know, looking at billboards and TV and things like that, it was already very clear to me that those things had become less and less effective. This is where young people were spending their time, right? That's right. And so I, I essentially, because I was given the mandate to do so, I essentially got rid of all of the other types of advertising. Nah. We went all in on um, on uh, the Google ads and started yeah. doing it in cities around the country and, and continued to do that. And uh, one little small business model change that I made is when I first got there, when we were doing these ads, uh, we were serving almost as like the media agency for pregnancy Help Centers. In other words, we would run the ads. It would cost a certain amount. We would send them a bill. They would pay the bill. Yes. And I said, I, I think one of the challenges with that is we we don't have leverage to get information from them. They don't have to tell us the results, right? No. About what happened with the clients that came in and many. Times yeah. They would.
0: I was like yeah, oh, that's I don't the, con- like that's the that. conversions? Yeah. Yeah.
2: We need yeah. to know the results. I said, this is such a compelling uh, product. And just from talking with pro-lifers that I know, let's turn that around. What I mean by that is, let's find the centers that we know are great. And their mission is 100% about reaching abortion-determined women. I'll talk about why that's important in a second. And find those when they can prove the results. If they can prove the results and show the results, I can go get the money from the philanthropist to fund the programs. Yeah. So we turned that business model around and started doing that. And we've been doing that model essentially since around 2017 or something like that.
0: Yeah, well, and real quick here, this is this is entering into the, the victory, the solution uh, for the pro-life movement and changing and converting the hearts and minds of women. And so I just wanna put a Put a staple in there for our listeners that we're going down a road here and um that's gonna make so much sense to uh to you and also to your life experience whether you have a smartphone or not and i would imagine most everyone has a smartphone uh, you know, the noise, you know, the attraction, you know, the addictive tendencies of that phone. And so I just wanted to, to make a point right there as we are you know, quickly moving into really something I'm excited about talking about your book, but also, you know, uh, the solution that it provides to the pro-life movement and and fighting and combating against um, the the wickedness of
2: abortion. Yeah, thank you. So I'll give you a a quick, uh, a couple of points, and I think it will be a good segue into the book. Yeah. So the the point about um, pregnancy centers that are very effective at interacting with abortion-determined women, I can't stress enough how important this is because when you you hear a lot of news from pro-life organizations who aren't necessarily involved in in frontline work, Mm. They're just taking kind of this high level view, and they'll say things like, "Well, you know, Planned Parenthood has six hundred and whatever centers across the country that you know actively do abortions, and we have three thousand pregnancy help centers. You know, we should be we should be like crushing them." Yeah. Like, well, if if you're involved in the front lines, you realize why that doesn't work. Um, mm-hmm. Let's just say there are three thousand. Pro life pregnancy centers, the vast majority of those, I'm going to say 90%, are ineffective at dealing with a woman who is abortion determined and actively seeking an abortion. When I say ineffective, what I mean is, is they have to, this is sales and marketing, they have to take that woman in and say things in such a way that resonate with her without being manipulative, but that move her towards, move her away from an abortion decision toward a decision for life. Mm -hmm. That takes a lot of skill. Uh, It's being very disciplined about the processes, about what you can say and what you can't say, what you can do and what you can't do. And frankly, many centers just don't want to mess with it because it's hard work.
1: That's it. It's much
2: easier to be, you, you hear the word pregnancy resource center, PRCs. It's much, much easier from a mission basis and an execution basis to be a PRC because You're handing out resources, you know, whether that's rent support, diapers, formula, clothes and things like that. And women want that. So when they come to you for resources, everything is friendly, right? It's great because these are women who already chose life. Yeah, right. Exactly. And this was not a you didn't convert them to life. They already chose life and they need help. That's still a wonderful thing. Please don't get me wrong. That's still a wonderful service to provide. I just want to make it clear to those who need to, who may want to learn more about how the pro-life frontline world really works, that you can't equate three thousand pregnancy help centers as being competitive against seven hundred Planned Parenthoods. There are other reasons you can't equate it as well, but they they, they really don't compete. Ninety percent of those three thousand don't actually compete for clients against Planned Parenthood. So it's, yeah. it's a very important point to keep in mind.
0: No, that's excellent and I appreciate you sharing that. And so this brought you on the hunt for finding a solution to to this problem that's a that's a marketing problem um because it's not uh persuasive enough it's not um persuading the hearts and minds of of women mm. before they're even in that situation and and you and i both know the importance of of persuasion and you know in marketing we call it touch points right but the many touch points I and mean, we're not selling a butterfinger here it's not like just you know an impulse buy it is something that that has um, so many different um, areas that you're combating from friends to social media to other people that have had abortions to parents to the the difficult life situations that so many of these women are in. And so you're on a hunt to find that solution, to find a uh, program that is um, outshining the rest. And then you bring it all full circle within your book. And so I'd really love for you to uh, share with us. Uh, the solution that you found, and and that, and, and I want all of our listeners to grab this book, and then we're gonna we'll talk about what we can do later on. But uh, but let's uh, let's start with that book.
2: Yeah. So let me let me set it up with a couple of uh, points because I, I feel like it's a great opportunity to to educate uh, absolutely about like how it really works out there on the front lines. That's right. Um, So I was talking about the Google ads a while ago, direct response. Uh, Believe me, I I love that because you get immediate results. You're helping a woman in an emergency 911 situation. You're moving her from about to make a very terrible decision over here to choosing life. It's it's, the stories that come from these kinds of things are absolutely beautiful. Uh, It's amazing, right? That being said, direct response... Is what I call a marginal uh, solution. Why? It's a marginal solution because the vast majority of young women in our country already know the name Planned Parenthood. Yeah. And so when the situation happens, and they know what, of course, they know what Planned Parenthood does. And so when the situation happens to them, they don't necessarily need to go here. And do a search about you know where can I get an abortion or all those kinds of things. Instead, it's like Planned Parenthood. That's where I go. True. That's right. right. And this is a huge issue, and 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 now we're going to get into the the, the real amazing story and the opportunity. There was research done by the Charlotte Lozier Institute in 2015, where I'm so thankful they did this research. Hmm. Where they actually had probably it was probably someone that was a uh, uh, sponsoring the research, one of yeah, these a uh, pro life organization, but they did brand recognition research. Mm-hmm. And of course, they asked like, "What is uh, brand?" Yes, this is nationwide research, uh, brand recognition of Planned Parenthood. The number was ninety three percent. You know that's up there, John. That's up there with the Coke McDonald's. It's yeah. like, in other words, basically. We could say almost every young woman in the United States knows the brand name Planned Parenthood, I mean, absolutely. and they what they do. Yeah. So if you're on the other team, <laughs> yeah, this is a this is a this is disconcerting, right? This is yeah. not good, unless of course you have a matching brand that's just as powerful. So what did the research show there? Well, first of all, I think the Charlotte Lozier Institute even had a difficult time selecting. I bet. A brand that they could actually put forward and ask the question. So they, they they chose Option Line, which is a national call center that's run for many years. It's run by Heartbeat International, mm-hmm. and they've been doing advertising for a long time. So okay, we'll, we'll we'll pick that one and we'll do the same. We'll ask the same questions. You know, the same questions that that showed Planned Parenthood ninety three percent. We'll ask that of women about Option Line. Yeah. Brand recognition was eight (laughs) percent. All right. Yes. You're a marketer. You know exactly what I'm about to say. It's like you have no chance. You're like the game is over before it even starts. Because women don't know you exist. Yeah. As a matter of fact, if you look deeper in that research, probably half or so of the women in our country. Don't even know what a pregnancy help center is as a category of product and service. It's like you and I saying, if it's like if I showed you this and you go, what is that? Right. They, they, they don't know about the existence of such a thing. So already, before we even talk about a specific brand name of an organization, we've already lost at the category level that we would call it. This is like when you're a marketer, this is not good news, right? No. <laughs> it's like, so we can call that the brand gap. And why is this so important? Because I'll I'll give you my own story here. We all have them. If, If I questioned you, you'd come up with something too. This works on marketers as well. And you have to win that mind share, as I call it, about your product relative to your competition, even before your customer comes into the market for your product or service, right? This is why Apple, for example, McDonald's, Coke, Ford, which is the story I'm going to tell. And all the other big companies, why do you think they constantly advertise like all over the place, never stop? Because they have to they have to get to the number one position in in their category in your head so that if and when you come into the market for their product, you go straight to them. Right. Mm -hmm. This happened to me recently. It's like, look, I've wanted a truck, but I'm from Oklahoma. Right. There you go. Living in Texas, I wanted a truck for a long time. Like to hunt, like to fish. Seems like the kind of the kind of tool I should have in the toolbox. <laughs> Amen. Me too. Yep. <laughs> so so when this happened to me, this would have been about a year and a half ago. Now, I, I should have been out like doing research, like Ford F 150 versus Chevy, this and Toyota yep. that GM, whatever. I didn't do a lick of research. I went straight to the Ford dealer and said, show me your F-150s, right? Yep. Yep. (laughs) They they had they had sold beyond this, planted themselves as number one in my mind, probably, gosh, you know, probably for a decade or more. I bet. Built Ford tough. Yep. Yeah, all that stuff. So what we talk about stories and narratives. So Ford has had successfully created a narrative. And I wrote myself into that story. That's how branding works, right? Mm -hmm. You keep telling that story over and over and over in such a way that's so compelling and resonates. The consumer starts to write his or herself into that story. Mm -hmm. And it's like it becomes part of their identity even before they buy the product. This is why it works so well, right? right. And so there I I got my F-150 now. I love that thing. So, so. So here I am, I'm looking at this, the the research back to our topic at hand. I'm looking at the research. I'm like, man, that is really, really, really bad news. Yeah. The way that we at Heroic Media initially tried to help solve that problem was we started, we took our um, 30-second TV commercials from years past and repurposed them and started running them in Oklahoma City specifically. uh, on, on YouTube as pre-roll ads. So pre-roll means you run the ad before the woman sees whatever YouTube video she wants to see. And then we followed that up with research. And I, I'm i spitballing a bit here, but we went from like 13% category recognition to later on, like two and a half years later, it was like 40%. So oh, it works. Yeah, yeah did in Oklahoma City, absolutely. It's, it's wonderful. And then... I'm I'm learning a lot more, right? I'm probably five years in now, and I'm like, yeah, but I always thought to myself, if you had a strong brand name from an organization, you can kill two birds with one stone. You can yeah. brand that organization and and brand the category at the same time through the organization. It's it's a stronger way to do it, but I I just didn't know I hadn't seen anything out there of any company. Any pro life pregnancy center that any done anything like this, as I write in my book, for most centers, when they go through a budgeting process, you know, if there's any money left over at the end, someone might raise their hand and say, maybe we should do some advertising, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Instead of and if you want to, to win the
2: brand game, as I say in the book, if you want to win the brand game, that has to be the first thing you talk about. What does it take to win the brand game? To win brand recognition, brand preference, and then brand choice, so that we can win the market share battle against our competitor. What does it take to do that? Invest in that, and then let's talk about the rest of the expense items in our budget. Right. Mm -hmm. This is not how the pregnancy help center world thinks. Yeah, agreed. (laughs) Until until, uh, as as God would have it, a little over three years ago, speaking opportunity. Uh, up in in St. Louis, that wasn't the primary reason we went. A, a generous benefactor of ours, who also has an incredible business background, she invited uh, my colleague and I, colleague Karen Garnett and I, up to St. Louis. And she goes, "You have to go see this center called Thrive Express Women's Healthcare." Sure. Well, yeah. I, I never turned down the opportunity to visit another another pro-life pregnancy center. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's go do it. Now, honestly, John, I've seen a lot of them. I was certainly pretty cool, but I was expecting probably more of the same. Mm-hmm. And already I was intrigued. I was like, Thrive. And that's, that's a very cool, aspirational name. Love that. Um, I love that they're using women's health care. Awesome. Because that's what women are thinking. We can talk about that later. Women have been conditioned to think abortion is a medical choice. That's how they yeah. look at it. We mm-hmm. may not like that, but that's how they look at it. So if you're a good marketer, you have to resonate with that. You can't push back against it. You just have to roll with it to get them in. So, I'm already liking what I see it. and then I walk into the center and I'm like, "Oh man, I am in the presence of something different." Wow. This is this is more like walking into I'd almost call it like a retail space that's using colors, it's using uh the structure it's using the way all of the team there dress. It's using uh, the words that they use. And I was like, wow, I cannot wait to hear more about this. Yeah. And that was my first time to meet, who's now a, a dear friend and is also on the board of Heroic Media, Bridget Van Means, who is the vision leader, the pres- the CEO. Uh, I don't know exact title, president, but anyway, she runs, sure. she leads, she leads Thrive. And she's really the 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 um, she's really the the one who put this plan in place. She didn't come up with the name, but she when she came to that center, um, maybe like ten years ago, she saw the potential of this, and it was in such a situation that they you know when she came there, she was basically arriving as a rescue. Like the company was like thirty days away from going under. No. Uh. She also has that marketing and sales background, very successful. And she just tried, she just did something very different. She said, you know what? I'm not going to do the typical pregnancy help center model thing. I'm just going to bring forward what I know works in terms of sales marketing, branding. We're going to do that. So we're going to, we're going to make it beautiful. We're going to run a significant branding campaign using all the advertising vehicles we can in St. Louis we're going to run big reach and frequency, which is basically means translating to spending a lot of money. Yeah. And we're yep. going to do it without stopping ever. And we're going to do this and we're going to be successful. We're going to become the preferred brand in St. Louis over Planned Parenthood. And when that happens, we're going to win the market share war against them. Mm. And I don't think she knew this at the time, but she probably intuited it. And we're going to close them down their abortion numbers are going to go so low that they're basically going to hightail it out of here. Hmm. And that's exactly what happened. It took wow. about five years to do that, but it happened Planned Parenthood left St. Louis in I think like 2019 or 2020, something like that. It went from doing 5,000 abortions down to about, you know, single digits. Uh, yeah. incredible, incredible story. And I'm sitting there and it took me a while again. I'm a little slow. Sometimes it took me a while to kind of put it all together. I was like, This is the answer, because what you won't hear in the pro-life movement, that's why I sent you some of that data ahead of time. Yeah, it's very I I don't know if if you step out of pro-life and you're and you're just someone totally objective observer. And people started using words like who's winning there's no data that says pro-life is winning. When I see that from pro-life leaders, it it makes me very unhappy because it's not true. Winning means what? Well, it depends on what you mean. If you mean we've made some significant advances on the moral war with the overturning of Roe v. Wade, I'll give you some credit there. Absolutely. Laws teach. They're important. Don't get me wrong. But if you want to talk about spreadsheets and choices, for abortion versus choices for life, yeah, we are not only are we losing, and have been losing. We're losing badly. So you go into a typical city, I'd say it's pro- for every abortion-determined woman who ultimately chooses life. Yeah, let's let's do it in percentages. So if ten women uh, choose life, there's ninety that choose abortion, and I'm probably being generous there. It's probably Mm -hmm. even more like 5 to 95, okay? From my perspective, I'm a marketing guy. I like to win market share. I like to beat the competition. That's losing. That's not winning. And so here we have this one. So I I call it like, I I like to use images. I think about Mount Everest. We're like halfway up the mountain. We've been circling around the middle of the mountain for years, right? The whole Mm -hmm. pro-life movement because- As the data I sent you, even most Americans now are more of a pro-choice than they are pro-life. So we haven't really made – we're, like, doing a lot of stuff. Like, we're, like, moving around the middle. But the mountain climbers want to get to the summit. That's what winning is. That's what success is. I can't imagine any climber Mount Everest is happy getting halfway up. Halfway. There's actually, if you know the word mediocre, it means Mm. halfway, right? It means you're trying. When you're mediocre, it doesn't mean you're, like, doing nothing. It's better than doing nothing. But it's halfway up. And I'm not for a moment discounting the passion and the desire of the people who are involved. It's just that clearly there's no strategy, there's no playbook that has ever got people up up to the summit. The overturning of Roe v. Wade may be somewhat helpful. We can talk about why not so helpful in a second of moving up a little bit, but it's only gonna move up a little bit. And yet here comes this organization walking from the summit down the middle of the mountain to meet us there and says, Hey, you know, we used to be here with you too. (laughs) And then we tried this thing, right? We tried this new business plan, this new marketing plan, and it took a while. It took five years, but we stuck with it. We didn't give up. We have an excellent service. We did an unbelievable marketing program, branding program. And you know what guys we won. we, Mm we, we, we were at the summit, like looking down at y'all down here. So we're coming down to you now to say, look, here's the plan. You want to copy of the plan? Would you like to try this? And I hope all of us would say, yeah.
1: Yeah. Because
2: y'all did it, man. You you did exactly what we all want. It's like you won. You got more women who are seeking an abortion to choose life instead of choosing abortion. So That's even crazy. if that was 51 to 49, at least we could look up on the scoreboard at the end of the day and say we won. Because, John, yeah. every day in our country, if you talk, I'll, I'll use football terms. That game is played every day in every city and the score is 95 Planned Parenthood, five us, five yeah.
0: mm-hmm. in every
2: city except one. And that's St. Louis.
0: St. Louis. Yeah. Well, and I do I want to take a moment and I want to talk briefly about the overturning of Roe v. Wade, because I do believe that there is this false notion that since that happened and you'll hear things like, oh, it's pushed off to the states now. Um And i live in texas and i'm good to go um you know and then you also hear i I got it yesterday i got a notification from texas right for life um and they're doing good work um but it was just showing uh, the um the planned parenthood centers that are going up on our borders here but it's still kind of missing the point of the direction that planned parenthood is going and honestly for me it was scales falling off my eyes when you started talking to me about the direction that the abortion industry is going and i think all the men listening and every Everybody in the world needs to understand this so if you take a moment and talk about um we, i mean we'll we'll agree that roe v wade was was great from a legislative standpoint overturning that um, was great from a legislative plan, um standpoint but it's actually not helped and actually even with this gallup poll that you sent me recently it actually looks like it turned the minds of many closer to the pro-choice than uh, than the pro-life movement, and and we're in a downturn now in this year than we've really ever been, um, at least in the last 10, 15 years from this Gallup poll. So I'd love for you to talk just a moment about that, kind of set the, the game that we are playing here, uh, and then we can go back to Thrive and how they are um, winning.
2: Yeah, love that. So let me let me say something and I, I want you and the listeners to to hang with me on this. Don't like don't let your heads explode. Let me let me give the context to what I'm about to say. Cause you might go, what are they talking about? Yeah. Uh if you want to use that word choice, uh that war is over and the choice side won. Mm-hmm. People are like, oh my gosh, don't. I'm talking about that from the I'm not talking about that from the law's perspective. I'm talking about it from the frontline perspective and the provision and and offering of abortion services. Why is the war over? Because if I go back, let's say I'll go back um, 20 years, it certainly is no doubt that laws would have been much more effective at stopping abortion because abortions were, for the most part, procedures that were done at a certain place on a certain day at a certain time done by a certain person well that's pretty easy to police right you can go to that place and you can coordinate off shut it down right yeah The, the what was happening subtly at first and then accelerating recently rapidly is the abortion industry began to completely transform itself in terms of the product that it offers. And that's what we call, there's lots of names for it. The the pro-life organizations like to call it chemical abortion, fine, Um, the the way the market would call it is abortion pill or medication abortion or DIY abortion, self-managed abortion, there's lots of different names for it. But this changed the game completely. Because now abortion has essentially become a pharmaceutical strategy, or let's just call it a medication, a drug strategy. And already this year, we're, we're closing out um, 2022. Already more than half abortions this year are by the abortion pill. And that's accelerating rapidly. Wow. Mm-hmm. Like in the next couple of years, it'll be 70, 80%. Why is this a problem? Because you can't police it. You can Mm -hmm. try, but I'd say, I would ask any of the folks listening we all have heard about the war on drugs for decades now, right? Right. It doesn't work. Are you going to get some victories here and there? Yes. You know, where you can stand in front of the press corps and go, wow, look what we did. But in the main, it won't start, it won't stop the flow of those drugs because the demand is so high for those drugs. It allows a woman. To have a private abortion, if you want to call it that, in the privacy of your own home. Um, and these pills can be transported numerous ways. And and people might say, yeah, but you know, our state, they they put in that it's illegal to ship uh, abortion pills by mail. I'd be like, yeah. first of all, many of the abortion pill companies are overseas. They could yeah. care less what the laws are, right? They're gonna ship them. Now I just say it's it's so easy. You know, if, if you're a woman here in Texas, for example, and you, you can't find it, but you have friends out in California, or you have friends who you know friends in California, California will be probably, manu- and New York will be manufacturing these or bringing them in to distribute to yes. uh, various means through to uh, abortion illegal states by the hundreds and thousands,
0: right? Well, and we need to understand that it's not it's not literally like titled abortion pill. It is medicine that is used in instances of miscarriages or you know um, trying to uh, induce labor and things like that. Um, so there, there's yeah, exactly there's so many different ways to, to get around it and that it can't be policed.
2: Yeah, it's a great point. It's th- those two drugs, uh, misoprostol and, and uh, misoprostol Um uh, sorry, I'm, the, the two drugs are pharmaceuticals used for other purposes. Yeah. just They're used in very high dosages to achieve this. You know, The, the first dose basically cuts off nutrition and oxygen from the fetus, so the fetus dies. You take the next dose and that expels the contents of the uterus, mm. right? That's that's mm. how the regimen works. And so here we are. And, and so back to my choice as one. We no nobody can stop this. The, the cat's out of the bag. This is modern abortion, if you want to call it that, from here forward. Yes. The pro-life movement yes. was was built around the older model of abortions happening in clinics. Clinics. And, and again, I'm not against pro-life legislation because it's powerful as a teacher, for sure. Yeah. Right. But it's practical effect of stopping the flow of the abortion pill is, is pr- practically negligible. Right. Yeah. It's not going to work. More, obviously, more and more women, young women are learning about how to access these things like every day, more and more of them, Yeah, And we can't stop it. Except. Now let's get back to branding and thrive. So I would argue, forget about trying to stop the supply of abortion. In that game, they won. Yeah, this this abortion bill, they won the game. It's over. Stop it. Quit wasting your time there. Right. Yeah. However, as marketers and salespeople, we know that you can always win a customer if you convince them that what you're offering is a better product and service a better value for them that's right right right. apple ford etc yeah you name a a lot of companies this is exactly what thrive achieved in st louis and john they did it they did that well before this massive increase in the abortion pill so it shows you that no matter what the product is from planned parenthood whether it was you know the former old model of clinic abortions or the new model of distribution of the abortion pill you can still win in terms of demand if you come forward with an excellent marketing program which includes the product includes you know everything and primarily that branding program and when i when i went back and analyzed the branding program so we're talking specifically about the advertising now it was remarkable to me why it worked because some centers might hear this and they go well we'll just start doing more advertising no, it's like there, there's 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 three phases to this. There's a there's a recognition phase, so you're building brand recognition that takes a year or two, and then that that trans that's that moves into brand preference, which is where ultimately is what's going to determine whether you win or not the market share war. Brand preference can be in someone's head. I gave my Ford F one hundred and fifty story, like it's probably in my head for ten years before That's I right. came into the market and made the purchase and and won. So in the same way, Thrive in St. Louis, like I said, never stopped running this branding program ever, even to this day. And so women had it in their head; they they recognized it, and then they began to prefer Thrive, and then eventually, maybe if and when it could be years down the line, they face an unexpected pregnancy. They call first who they trust. And, and Thrive had earned that number one position in their head. Basically, you don't push Plan Parenthood out. That doesn't happen, but you're pushing them down. Right. Yeah. Now, now you're the number one. And I'll, I'll tell you the, the proof that it's actually won, that they won like completely, is now the the brand, the Thrive brand is so powerful in St. Louis that Thrive has now moved to that envial enviable position that marketers love is the majority of the clients that come in, come in from referrals from previous yeah, clients. That's right. <laughs> that's when you know the, the game's over, you've won, right? Yeah, won the game. So they won the game. And here's the thing. And I think, I, I believe you got to see some of the advertisements. I did. Yeah. But the advertisements are, I mean, it's like, they're not made for you and me. That's for sure. No, right? not I'll be your first reaction. They're clearly the, the words that are used, some of the words I don't even recognize, they're like, you know, teenage lingo. The words they use, the colors they use, uh, the sounds, everything is built around resonating with what those young women already love in terms of other things that they look at in their lives. Right. Yeah. Other yeah. brands that they see, for example, Thrive keeps a pulse on what Kim Kardashian is doing. Why? Certainly not because of her moral standards, but because young women look to her as a fashion icon, right? As a fashion trendsetter. Mm -hmm. So you want to understand those things because when you take some of those elements that are clearly resonating with young women with what Kim Kardashian is doing, and you move that into your branding program, it says to the young woman, these people care about me, that they took the time to actually love what I love or care about what I care right. about. And they're they're integrating that into their program. And it resonates, right? When it resonates, you're starting to win. And you're starting to build up that number one position Absolutely. in the minds of the young women. You're starting to win their mind share, as I call it. So if you can win mind share of the majority of your target market, that leads to winning market share.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, no, and I think it's great. And I, I want to go back to your experience when you walked into that Thrive store, because you and I both know as marketers that good marketing helps a bad product fail sooner. Right. And <laughs> so if, if we're good at the marketing, which they were, um, but women are showing up to this event and it just looks like a wall of diapers and, you know, a couple older women that um, are have great hearts and are, and are wonderful people, but really don't speak that language and that lingo. There's this huge disconnect. They leave. You're not getting those referrals for sure. Sure. and so um, how do we how do we uh I guess trying to formulate my question here how do we franchise that how is that something that can be um that can be brought into Dallas Fort Worth where I live or you know any of these other areas um I know that's that's what you're looking towards and I want to uh kind of give you the floor there and talk about the future of thrive and how it's spreading um and you've got some really cool things that are going on
2: yeah thank you it's it that's a, I love the the beautiful example you gave because the uh you know marketing is hard, successful marketing is hard. It has to resonate through the entire, you know, we call it um market to message match or sometimes called yeah. product to message match. And so exactly what you're saying, if you run all those advertisements and 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 you've you've taken over the number one preferred brand and the woman needs it, and she calls you and you go and she goes in, and what she sees in your center there's a complete dissonance with what she expected based on everything that she had learned about your brand you're going to lose right she's out if we we could use saint paul as you're a clanging gong right yeah exactly she's going to turn right around and hightail it the other way right so that's the beautiful thing about thrive is they've it's it's consistent throughout the expectation of what the woman has built up in her mind through the branding There's a consistent 100% match with what she experiences when she goes through Thrive with everything she sees, everything she experiences in her interactions with the people Thrive, everything with the follow-up, which is all about empowerment. It's not just about, hey, save your baby, have a nice day. It's about we're here for you because, as Bridget puts it, we know that you are buying a future, and we want to help you get whatever future you want and help you understand that this child can be a huge part of helping you achieve what you want. Mm -hmm. Right. That's a totally different mindset, but it works. And it's what women want to hear. And it's authentic because Thrive backs it up with the programs that make that happen for women. Yeah. So to your question about franchising. So when, you know, Bridget and her team actually built the playbook to franchise this years back and started down that path But again, this was before like COVID, before like telehealth and all those things. And it was like a brick and mortar strategy. And even when Heroic Media started talking with the Thrive team about, you know, you need to expand this into other markets. We got to do this in other places. It was still based on a brick and mortar strategy, which is kind of difficult because brick and mortar costs a lot of money and it takes a lot of time. So the typical model is you'd have to get that up and running and then you start running your brand advertising program. That's right. Mm-hmm. But what Thrive noticed, as, especially as Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry started shifting into uh, the abortion pill as their model, they started doing a lot more telehealth, right? Telehealth. Distribution. Mm. And COVID massively accelerated that, right? Yeah. Based on everybody being stranded at home. And so Thrive quite... Quickly picked up on that and said, "We have to do the same thing. We have to take our wonderful experience that women have when they come to Thrive inside of our centers, virtualize that completely, even to the point where the background here, when a woman is having a telehealth visit, looks like she's in a Thrive center. That's right. That's how like detailed they have it? It's amazing. And they started testing that, and John, it worked like gangbusters. I'll, I'll tell you one of the main reasons I think why." There was a couple of reasons, but young women, uh, because of these, yeah, and they're used to like Facetiming with all their friends, and because of COVID, actually, I'm generalizing a bit here, but prefer this kind of interaction, yeah, especially if they know all it takes for, is we're going to have an interaction and send me the abortion pill. They'd rather do it this right. way, right? than go show up at an office, right? <laughs> um, so they were already, so Thrive was simply stepping into that story of, of young women already wanting to do telehealth, beautiful. Sure, second exactly. Thing, in the brick and mortar model, so you have an abortion determined woman, you get her on the phone with a pro-life pregnancy center, even a very skilled one who knows things to say, who has successfully books an appointment. Usually the fastest you're gonna get her in is like the next day. So that's like yeah. a 24 hour waiting period these women don't stop researching they keep looking so even at the great centers the no show rate for appointments is 30 40% sometimes oh like. wow yeah in the telehealth model as soon as you know the the initial phone screener comes on she gets you onto the telehealth call immediately yeah so thrive calls that the speed to nurse protocol it used to be wow. you know in the brick and mortar it's 24 hours And the speed right. in the telehealth is 24 seconds right wow. This is huge because the woman gets immediate help and the woman that she and, and the Thrive professional that she's talking to is not a counselor. It's the yeah. registered nurse mm. who has all the talking points. This is absolutely essential because remember, young women have been conditioned to think that abortion is a medical choice. So, again, back to our marketing. You're resonating with everything she expects. She's expecting this to be a medical visit. All of a sudden, she's clearly in the presence of a registered nurse, medical. And very importantly, that medical nurse, from the young woman's point of view, is an authority. Yeah. Right? So if the the registered nurse does an excellent job of her talking points, again, helping the woman, not being manipulative, but helping understand information, helping calm her down, understand the facts, it works. It works like gangbusters. And here's the, here's the, another amazing thing is, does it mean you don't need brick and mortar? I don't think so. But it means that you can start the branding program immediately. Yeah, exactly. Get in there. Like if, if some, like, uh, if someone in, I don't know, Austin said tomorrow, I, here's the money. Can we start running a brand advertising program? But yes starting like in, we have to you know we have to get the advertising up and running but a couple of weeks we can get going right because that, that registered nurse can be anywhere right it's yeah. it's the internet so she can be in chicago florida california washington texas doesn't matter so it's not it's not the the model is not beholden to a brick and mortar strategy so we we worked with thrive and launched this in oklahoma city in july yeah. in Philadelphia in August. And so that's that, it's the branding program. It's that early phase of building recognition, right? Building recognition. So this is not direct response. The way I would think about it, if I was someone investing in this program, if you're investing in, du- in direct response, like the Google ads, you're going to have more of what I would call like a more of an immediate satisfaction. <laughs>
0: sure, exactly.
2: The, the decision for life is probably going to come within like week's of the advertising. So you're moving like you have you get that that quick that quick uh hit if you will feeling of success. Branding is moving young women from Planned Parenthood spreadsheet onto Thrive spreadsheet but in the future. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And by the way much more in the future in terms of the numbers. So you don't get that immediate hit. But remember, direct response is limited in terms of the gross number of women that you can get over here because most of them are going to Planned Parenthood anyway. You don't even get a chance to advertise to them. Branding takes longer, but branding gives you a chance to win the game. Direct response, you're not going to win the game in terms of the scoreboard. Branding gives you the chance to actually win the game against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry, like Thrive did in St. Louis.
0: And that's the message. And that's what we need to to really be pushing uh, for for individuals to understand that um you know, it might not be immediate, but the immediate work that we've been doing over the last 20 years that we've been losing and, and losing dramatically. And so, you know, this idea is is really transformative. And, and I'm so excited to, uh, to have it. And I know, as St. John Paul II said, you know, we are called up to stand for life, and we're called to work and pray against abortion. But outside of praying um, and buying your book, which is going to be in the show notes, (laughs) what can men do, right? Because we've been intentionally, systematically marginalized from the abortion conversation. Um, You and I haven't had uh, time to talk about that, but we will right now. The abortion industry has intentionally removed us. Um, You know, we don't have a voice because we ourselves can't get pregnant. Um, And honestly, another aspect when I've been reflecting on this and talking to men is that they see like end abortion as kind of like ending world hunger it's just like insurmountable for them uh so it's it's like what do they uh how do they get started or what can they do well i'll just pray about it every day which is incredibly important and and you know and the holy holy spirit is definitely you know working in the lives and hearts of men and our neighbors close to us as we do that but what are some of the things that men can be doing to help heroic media, to help thrive, to help transform this understanding of the, um, I guess, the abortion war um, and uh, and move people into life?
2: First, I would say um, in your immediate environment, which could be your wife, uh, your children, maybe some of them are girls, impact them, by being an awesome virtuous man Amen. right if you're an awesome virtuous man and you're and you're teaching your children correctly it's much more likely not not certain for sure in our decadent culture but it's much more likely that you will be able to persuade your young girls who will become young women to be chaste yeah. right they also have the opportunity to spread that to their friends. So, I'd say there's a network effect here. Um, Men have, men probably don't realize how important that is just to be incredible Catholic holy men pursuing holiness and everything and how that can affect their daughters. Yeah. And what that can mean in terms of their daughters affecting their friends. And ultimately, they're not going to get pregnant because they're going to save themselves for marriage. Right. Yeah. I know that sounds old fashioned these days, but that's what we should be doing. Right. (laughs) <laughs>
0: That's right. Truth is so true. Now, That's right. So now let me
2: jump back to our decadent culture, which is kind of the the driving narrative, unfortunately, these days. I I John, I'm still challenging myself in this um in this thinking, but I think about it a lot because I have a lot of growth I need in this area. So what do I mean by that? It, it, it always hits me. I, I think often about it. It's, it's a bit of a, I know it hits Catholics when we hear this reading at mass. It's a bit odd when, you know, it's, I'm going to mess this up a little bit. You'll know the passage I'm talking about when, when Jesus is teaching and some people show up and say, your mother and your brothers are, they want to talk to you or something. Yeah. Cause who are my mother and my brothers? These are my brother, mother and brothers. The way I look at that is God simply looks at all of us as family, yeah. right? And using Father John Ricardo's borrowing from him, it's like God wants his family back. And then I go, okay, if you really look at these young women, when they come in, what is it that they're looking for? And you realize that they're no different than any of us. They just want to have a great life. They just want to be happy, right? And so if we use the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if, if any of your listeners aren't familiar with that, please look it up. So there's the bottom layers are like basic security and, you know, provision so that you mm-hmm. can like live. But then as you move up to, if you move up the pyramid, what people are really looking for is per, things like purpose and, you know, ultimately the top level of self-actualization, which mm-hmm. I think yeah. is basically saying you're fulfilling mission and purpose in your life. Wonderful. It's like where we all want to be, because that's ultimately where you're going to find great joy as you look back on your life. And it's like, okay, When I look at my 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 children are adults now, but I still even now feel that responsibility. Now, I'm not involved in their security anymore. They take care of that for themselves, but I'm still involved in their self-actualization. I'm still a mentor to them. I'm still a model to them. I'm still a coach to them. Right. Yet I think Jesus is challenging us and saying, that's beautiful, and you are responsible for that. But those young women that we're all talking about that today are going to get pregnant, become abortion minded. Yeah. They're my family. They're God's family. And therefore they're your family too. Mm-hmm. Amen. And that's really challenging to me because John, the truth is, am I ready to step up and commit to those young women in the same way? that I would commit to my three children. And I'm not there yet. I'm not. Um, I I guess you could argue, well, Brett, you work in this full time. Okay. But I I could do more. I could certainly give more financially than I'm giving. I could certainly give more um, time to it. And I'm just not there. I want to, I want to, you know, I pray about that a lot. I want to work toward that because I I think about models like, you know, uh, Dorothy Day, yeah, Dorothy, uh, Mother Teresa. You want to tie out? Just that's like all in, right? Right. <laughs> those right. two women were. Those two women were just. They're amazing. Jonah Bark, just like yeah. all in. And I'm not there. And and someone could say, well, maybe God's not calling you to that. Okay, possibly. But but I still think even if I'm not called to be that level, I certainly can move more in that direction. Amen. And I yeah. I, I would challenge men to think about that. It's like. Thank you for praying. That's beautiful. Uh, but I just talked with you about here's a model that worked. Uh, it saved untold of number of lives compared to the typical pregnancy center model. It has the opportunity to become the first national uh, counterbrand of Planned Parenthood based on a model that actually beat Planned Parenthood in a large city. It takes money to do that. It's brand advertising, right?
1: Yeah.
2: And so I would ask you just to, as I write in my book, it's like you've got time, talent, and treasure. Where can you commit more of that? And before you do that, how can you make that spiritual and psychological move toward thinking about these women and more like not just a mass of humanity? That's a big number. But it's like, oh, that's Susan, that's Betty, that's uh, I'm using like old names. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're, they probably don't use those old names. So yeah. That's that's Julie, you know, because that's that's exactly who they are. By the yeah. way, when you look at Planned Parenthood's most recent annual report, I don't have the exact number, but it's you know three hundred and eighty thousand abortions or some some yeah. insane number. Yeah, that, that's true. That's a big number. Each one of those was Julie, Sarah. Yeah. Beth, Susan, and keep going, right? Yeah. Are you thinking about them as family? Will you be willing to do what it takes to help them? And I think what we're talking about now, at least in the Thrive model, is not so much the rescue after the fact, right? Yeah. But proactively getting out there and winning in their minds before they even face the issue in the future. Yeah. And that ultimately I, I would I would put forward, I would say, is how we're going to win this. When we're when we're all willing as pro-life people to do what it takes to get this Thrive brand, I'm not saying it just has to be maybe some other brand comes along too, wonderful. But right now, the only thing I've seen is the Thrive brand that has that has proven that it can win against Planned Parenthood in a competitive battle. When we're willing to step up and make that brand happen nationwide and basically replicate nationwide, city by city, what happened in St. Louis, when we do that, we're going to win. We're going to win. Because you know what? A lot of pro-lifers who work in this full time know exactly what I mean when I say this. Women do not want to get an abortion. They don't. They don't. I bet you, you, you probably, if you asked a typical pro-lifer, hey, why do you think women get an abortion? They'd probably say something like, well, clump of cells or something like that. That's not why. It's, for the vast majority of them, it's a financial issue. It's, it's mm-hmm. First of all, it's it's all fear-based, of course. So mm-hmm. what are those fears? Uh, financial issue. Um, I already have a kid. I, I can't, I can't, I'm single mother, can't lose my job, can't take care of my kid. Uh the, the fa- I, There was no father around in um, the college girls. It's, you know, I can't, my career, you know, it, it's always fear-based. It has nothing to do with that. They don't think there's a human in there. I think that's like 1970s. I think. Agreed. It's like they, mm-hmm. they know, they know, they've been around enough now, they know, uh, but it doesn't matter because they're so scared that even though they know and they might not want to do it, I think it heart of hearts. Very few women are so hard hearted that they're just doing yeah. It anyway. Yeah, they don't want to do it. But you, we we have to we have to be there and show them that having this child actually accrues to the benefit of where you want to go in your life. Yeah. If you can do that authentically and persuasively, not manipulatively. if you can do that authentically and persuasively as Thrive has and you can do that and you scale it nationwide. You're going to win. We're going to win. And it's like it gives me such great hope, John, because I I, I believe it's going to happen. We're going to win. And I know right now it's like people are like probably a little bit frustrated because it's like our culture is like a lot of insane stuff going on. And I get it. But I I would even argue we were talking about the Gallup data, even if 95 percent of Americans said they were pro-choice. We can still win because it's still about offering a product to the woman who's choosing. And if your product is better and you persuade her that it's better and she believes that she's going to choose your product, you can still win.
1: Yeah.
0: I totally agree. And I am in, um, so thankful for that, for that those closing remarks because it is, it's, I was saying Francis de Sales was reading, reading him recently and he was just arguing that, you know, the growth from sin to holiness is the work of a lifetime and your call to you know transformation and deepening and your own experience and witness of that deepening yeah because we would we would put you on that that top of the pedestal is like look at this guy i mean he is doing it he's accomplished so much and he is he is you know um bringing in such great successes and gains for the pro-life movement you know we could never be like him but even your own witness and testimony is you're still working on it and and so so are we and that's exactly what we need to be doing so what a great call i really appreciate you doing that so brett just thank you so very much for for joining us today i'm i'm really excited i was really looking forward to this and it didn't it didn't let me down in the least so i really appreciate oh. you
2: well, John, thank you for having me. I, I love uh, Catholic Gentleman. I've been following it, like I said, for, from the beginning, from when it was kind of a little more rudimentary. Yeah. I love the content. I love the mission. Um, man, do we need the kind of stuff that you all put out because um, the, the culture just isn't helping us at all. Mm-hmm. In the things that we're, we're engaging with day by day. So we need that reset. We need that um, meat of content that challenges us to step up and be – Catholic men and Catholic gentlemen, but be virtuous and be willing to lead and and to have courage. Right, I think that's going to be so that's important right. in in the coming years. It's like you got You got to step up and say something. Do it with charity, of course. Um, but we we can't back down. Uh, we have to step forward and be willing to um, to just say the truth. To to not only say the truth but to live the truth and then to bring a lot of other men and women along with us as we go win this war. Amen. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you again for being here. And thanks the listeners. And as we end each of our episodes, be a man, be a saint.